And he's staying in our missions apartment until the 28th. Yes, sir. Uh, but he's going to be with us next Sunday. He's going to be in our service in the morning. He's going to have a presentation for us. We're looking forward to that. But I'm going to have him open our service in prayer tonight, if you would. Father, we come before the uh, this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy you've given us. Father, I pray, Lord, you be with uh, this church tonight, Pastor Taylor, the congregation. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, the unction of the Holy Ghost will be present in a mighty way here, Father. That words we hear tonight will be embedded within our hearts, Father. Because we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let's lift up our voices again as we sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Wonderful Grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe? Where shall praise be? 
Are we doing another verse? Yeah, let's do another verse. <laughs> Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most John chapter 18, if you would. John chapter 18, verses 15 down through 17 is what I'm going to read to you. Um, title of our message this evening, they're giving me the sign, I don't have the microphone on. Uh, title of our message this evening is Unknown But Effective. Unknown But Effective. And we're introduced to an individual in this text that never tells us who they are. Now, there's great supposition among biblical scholars as to who this individual is, but this individual chooses to not identify themselves. Sometimes we think, if nobody knows us, that we really don't have any kind of influence, that somehow we're invisible. But the reality is, sometimes you don't have to be known your name doesn't have to be known. They don't, know, they don't have to know who you are for you to have a great impact on any one given situation. So when I read this text, I want you to listen with me. John chapter 18, verses 15 down through 17. And Simon Peter followed Jesus. <clears throat> and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. 
As we look at this text right here, we find this other disciple, this unknown disciple, this unnamed disciple. Now, there are many people who think, well, maybe it's Joseph of Arimathea, or maybe it's Nicodemus, although many Bible scholars believe that it is John the Beloved, the brother of James. It's very likely John, who's the author of the book under the inspiration of God. And the reason it is believed that it is John is because even as John writes the Gospel of John, he doesn't identify himself. He doesn't bring attention to himself. He might mention that John was in a group or something going on at a given place, but he doesn't say, I, John, was there. He just mentions John in kind of a third-person type of way. So when we come to this text, it's, it's very likely, many people do believe that it is John. John's family was connected to the priesthood. So for it to make the statement here that he knew the high priest, that would kind of make a link between John because he was of that line. So it's many people believe it is John. But the point we're looking at tonight is we really don't know. And maybe you are somewhere and you are doing something and you may think to yourself that in anonymity, you're not going to make a difference, but this individual does make a difference and I want us to see that. So when we start off in verse 15, the verse again says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So somebody tell me tonight, what is the event that's unfolding here? You know, as soon as I open those pages and introduce this text, you and I are, we're, we're transferred in time to this place, this time. And what place and what time is it? Does anybody recognize? Yeah, Jesus has been arrested and brought to be brought to the high priest's house to uh, testify before the Sanhedrin. Yes. And so the Synoptic Gospels, and somebody tell us, what are the Synoptic Gospels? You remember? Tell me the three Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what makes the Synoptic Gospels the Synoptic Gospels? They're all very similar material. That's right. They cover very similar events. John uniquely covers unique things in the life of Christ. In fact, there's only a few of the miracles of Christ that are mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels and here in the Gospel of John. John gives a unique perspective of the same life and ministry, but he gives us some extra information. So here we find John is with who? Somebody tell me. I'm gonna, you're going to get involved tonight. We're going to be interactive tonight. So who's with him? Peter. Simon Peter. Simon Peter, on that evening, the events of that day, is very famous for two things. Does anybody know what the two things are? He denied Jesus. He denied Jesus Christ how many times? Three. Three times. Sharper than attack tonight. If I had any kind of candy, I'd give it to you right now. You got your own. And then Louis, Debbie's brother, look at that. Both of them sharper than attack, right on it tonight. Louis knows. The second thing Peter was most famous for in the events that transpire at that time is not only does he deny Christ three times, but when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, he cut the servant's ear off. And what did the Lord do about that? Put it back on. He said, listen, if I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 legion of angels. That's not why we're here. That's not what we're doing. So tonight, as we come to this text, we find that Simon Peter and another disciple, who we don't know, they are following the Lord Jesus Christ onto the mock trial that's going to take place. And it's very interesting that John gives us insight into these things that transpire. In fact, when you come down a little bit farther, look at verse 17. 
Then saith the, the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this men's disciples? And, and what does Peter say? He is not. I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And the high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort in secret, have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Very interesting because when the high priest had a religious trial, they never asked questions. Because unlike our system of justice, it was not up to the accused to prove themselves innocent. It was up to the witnesses to show their guilt. So the high priest would not ask the accused questions. He would ask the accusers questions. And that's exactly why Jesus responds here the way he does when it comes down and he says in verse 21, why askest thou me, ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them? Behold, they know what I have said. So Jesus turns it on the high priest. He says, why are you asking me? Ask the witnesses. Ask them what I said. It's interesting. John gives to us these little bits of information that help us to see a little broader picture. It's kind of like the reference to the fire. Did anybody notice something? There's a detail that John puts in there that's interesting about the fire they build to warm themselves around. Anybody notice what the fire was? A coals. A fire of coals. So instead of a fire of logs, you know, oftentimes I'll see drawings of Peter standing out there with the servants and he's warming himself and there's a blazing fire. But this is not a blazing fire, is it? It's a fire of coals, that radiant heat of charcoal and coals that is coming off. Uh, who knows coals of what, but not a blazing bonfire. It's just interesting the things that John tells us. Thinking maybe even this is John who's there. But we know that John is writing this under the inspiration of God. So we find that Simon Peter and this unknown disciple, they are with Jesus as they come to the palace of the high priest. But the very first part of verse 16 tells us something. But Peter stood at the door without. So as these two approached the residency of the high priest, Peter drops off at the door and the unknown disciple goes in. So we learn that even in our anonymity, we can be a comfort and encouragement to our Lord. You know, the Bible teaches us to bless the Lord. We should be a blessing to our God. I want you to look at a few verses with me, if you would. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And maybe somebody will stand and read for us verses 32 down through 38. And he came to a place which was called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he was taken with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Hear ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst, thou, couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So somebody tell me, who are, these, who are these disciples that have gone with Jesus to this place of prayer? Anybody know in the text? 
Peter, James, and John. James and John being brothers, the sons of Zebedee. Peter being a friend, a fisherman as well. And the Lord has chosen these three. When you go through the Gospels, you'll see that these three are often the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are maybe a comfort to him, maybe an encouragement to him. Maybe in some way he draws from them a sense of family, community. He's called all the disciples unto ministry, but we know that there's even one who's a betrayer, don't we? We know Judas Iscariot. Certainly he's not going to draw from Judas Iscariot any comfort, any kind of companionship. He knows that Judas Iscariot not only is ultimately going to be his betrayer, but he's also a liar and a thief. So when we look here at James, John, and Peter, we understand that the Lord looks to these individuals as somewhat of that inner circle. And I believe that our Lord looks to us to draw near to him, to bless him, to worship him, to adore him. It's part of being that inner circle of his children. You and I should desire companionship with the Lord. It's more than knowing about Christ. It's knowing Christ. It's as you are about your business, sensing and understanding that he is there with you and you are with him. So here we see that Peter drops off at the door, but we always remember that the Lord in, Re in Revelation chapter 3.20 says, you know what? He stands at our heart's door and he knocks. And he says, he that hears me and lets me in, I will come and sup with him and he with me. The Lord wants that companionship. He wants that closeness in our life and in our relationship with him. So we see that this unknown disciple, the one who is not named, we see that he has chosen that closer walk, that closer place to encourage, to bless our Lord. He certainly desires our friendship in John chapter 15. Let's look over here just a couple pages from our text. Look with me at John 15 verses 14 through 15. It says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You and I, we are our Lord's friends. We are not just we know we consider ourselves servants. We are the servants of Christ throughout the Gospels, throughout the epistles. They acknowledge themselves as the servants of Christ. But yet Christ, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says, you're not my servants, you're my friends. And sometimes we forget about that, that he wants that kind of relationship with us. Yes, he wants us to be obedient to him. Yes, he wants us to follow him, but he wants us to be his friend. And this individual has chosen to go into the very inner courts where there the enemy abides. As Christ enters in, certainly the high priest has no good intention. And as this unnamed disciple slips in, he's not there for any other reason but to be there to be the friend of Jesus. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And certainly we know that this unknown disciple, this unnamed disciple, he has shown himself friendly, hasn't he? And it tells us in Proverbs 18, 24, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And of course we know that is the Lord. He is that friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. He is always there, never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is ever there. But yet at the same time, the first half of that verse reminds us that if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself friendly. This unnamed disciple has chosen to do that. He has entered in. He has stood 
where the Lord could see him, where there would be some comfort in knowing one of my apostles is here, one of my disciples is here. So we, even if our name is unknown, can be a blessing and encouragement to our Lord. But we can also help others. Sometimes we can draw others in in hopes that they too would be a blessing and encouragement. So I want you to look at what takes place as we move down to verses 16 and 17 in our text. But Peter stood out at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, the disciple that we don't know the name of, which was known unto the high priest. And he spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. And it is great that the Bible gives us this little bit of insight. So this unnamed disciple, he doesn't go just grab the door and yank it and open it, does he? No, because that would have been far outside his privilege. He's a guest in this house. So what does he do? He goes to the servant, and the servant is a young girl. Very common at this time in history to have young girls as servants throughout the facilities caring for all the small details. And so he goes to that young girl and imagine what he does. I would have to think that he goes up to her and says who he is, his connection to the high priest. And he simply says, can you let my friend in? He's all of a sudden not only concerned about the Lord, but he's respectful to his environment, his situation. And he asks the servant girl, would you let my friend in? And look at what takes place. We come down here and it, and it says to us in verse 17, Then saith the disciple that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of his, this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. So when she brought him in, she looked at him and she thought, I think I've seen you before. I've seen you with this Jesus. There's something about you. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's the way you speak. Maybe it's the way you dress. Maybe it's the way, who knows what. But she says, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? And what does Peter do? He denies. In fact, he's going to deny it three times. You and I, we can never know what somebody else is going to do with an opportunity. Sometimes we get discouraged because we invite others to come in. Come, come to know the Lord. Come, draw near to the Lord. Come and have a friendship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we think because we have invited and welcomed that they all will do well. But they don't all do well. Peter here, he had every opportunity to be a blessing, but he's not going to be a blessing. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, turn with me if you would, because I want you to know that it is part of our humble responsibility to try to help others to draw near to the Lord. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let others esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So the Bible's teaching us, you know, sometimes we have to look outside of ourselves and see that somebody else needs to be encouraged, uplifted, prodded along. So John in the inner area of the high priest's house. He looks out. He sees that Peter dropped off. He didn't come in. And he thinks to himself, yeah, no, I need to bring Peter in. He needs to come in too. And there are times in our lives when we do that. I encourage you all the time. You know, look around. If you see that some of your brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling Maybe in their Christian walk. Maybe getting back into church after COVID or struggling to get back on their feet after devastating things in their life. Reach out. Say, come on. Come and go with me. I'll pick you up. I'll come by. I want you to come. 
We need to do that. Now, does that mean always it's going to be a great success? No. Certainly we see that this unknown disciple, he brings Peter into that inner part of the building where there's a courtyard, obviously, and people warming their hands. He had hoped that Peter in some way would be an encouragement, a blessing. I don't believe for a minute that this unnamed disciple wanted to bring Peter in and have him deny Christ three times. I'm sure that that was as shocking to John as it was to Peter, but not to Jesus. Jesus told him before the cock crow, you will deny me three times. Peter said, no way. That is not going to happen. It does. So maybe the, the unnamed disciple, maybe who was possibly John, maybe he was as shocked as Peter was at Peter's failure. But nevertheless, he tried to be an encouragement. And you and I need to do the same as well. We need to not let those who fail discourage us. Because sometimes we do. Sometimes when others trip and fall, and fall by the wayside or stumble, sometimes when others lag behind, we let that somehow impact us. But actually what we've got to do is just keep on keeping on. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. John was just going to keep on keeping on doing what he needed to do as a servant of God. John historically is believed to have gone on in his Christian life to pastor in Ephesus and to influence churches all through Asia Minor. It is believed that John lived to be a very old man. That's what, that's what, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but church history tells us that. But John kept, kept on. He was faithful. He wasn't going to let Peter's denial of Christ three times. He wasn't even going to let the trial. He's not going to let the crucifixion. He's not going to let these things stop him. He is just going to keep on. He's going to help others, minister to others. Galatians chapter 6, 9. Turn with me if you would to there, it kind of repeats what the previous verse I quoted to you when I read to you 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Uh, but, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. But there's a little extension of that when we go to Galatians chapter 5. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 down through 16. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you, beat and, uh, if, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So God calls us. He says, listen, you must continue to do well. You must continue to let the spirit work in you to love your brothers, to help your sisters, to be there for one another. That's what this unnamed disciple does. He not only wants to go in and be an encouragement close to a blessing to our Lord, but he is going to try to bring Peter in and help Peter grow and give him an opportunity as well. The reality is when we look at the text, we find that both of them have a testimony, don't we? We see the unnamed disciple has a testimony. His testimony is of faithfulness, of blessing. His testimony is standing close to and true to our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter has a testimony in this text too. I asked you, what is Peter known for? Debbie said, denying Christ three times. She knows. Louis said, cut the servant's ear. He knows, and so don't you. That's their testimony. 
You and I must always remember whether we know somebody's name or whether we don't, our testimony lives on. And certainly in this case, we see that to be the case. And that's what is written down forevermore in verse 17, when it says, then saith the disciple that kept the door unto Peter, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Now, John doesn't go on to give us all as many of the certain disciples as did the synoptic gospels, but he gives us little unique insights into the situation. But we know that Peter denies three times. In fact, he goes so far as cursing, denying the Lord. Now, you and I, if we saw that happen, we would have thought, this guy, he is washed out. I mean, come on. To stand right there with the Lord right there and deny him three times, curse and deny him you would think there's no way this guy's coming back from that. But we know he does. The Lord catches his eye. And Peter remembers what Christ had said to him. And it says he left that place weeping. We all have a testimony. Even if our name is not known, we have a testimony. And here we find that this disciple, who we know not the name, had a wonderful testimony. Peter, pretty rocky at this point, isn't it? We have to decide that we are going to be just what God called us to be. And I want you to turn and see with me in Matthew chapter 18 what it is that he has called us to be. We need to be like this unnamed disciple. So look with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 down through 16. And listen to what he calls us to be. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So he calls us to three things here. Can anybody tell me, what are the three things he calls us? What's the first one? The salt of the earth. To be the salt of the earth. Uh... I've had COVID twice, and COVID has had some lasting effects on me. One of them is I can no longer taste salt very well. I was always hypersensitive to salt, used very little salt. Sandra Jo is a salt fiend. She would put so much salt on her food, I'd say, Sandy, stop. It's bad for you to have that much salt. And I would tell her, don't put any salt in my food, because I just... Didn't really care for salt. I can pour salt on my food now and not taste salt. That's not so good for me, is it? No. No. Now I have to make that judgment psychologically instead of with my taste. But salt is an important part of our lives. If you don't have enough salt, you die. You have to have a certain amount of salt. Um, the other day we were working on the project Saturday up here. And my blood pressure dropped like a rock. I went home and took my blood pressure and it was down at 92 over, 95 over 62. And so I was talking to Paul about it later. I think it was Paul, somebody, or Sandy went online and she said, well, you're, you, they recommend you eat salt. I don't want to eat salt. But I could barely taste the salt anyway. So I went and got a piece of watermelon, put a bunch of salt on it, ate the watermelon. It was, it was a little salty, but not much. That was supposed to pull my blood, my blood pressure up, is what it said. But when we look at this, we understand that God says we are the salt of the earth. Salt is a 
flavor enhancer. It's also a preserver. And it's, it makes things better within balance, not too much salt. Salt is also, at this time in history, exceedingly valuable, very, very valuable. Roman soldiers were often, their salary was enhanced with salt. And I had told you here not too long ago, I was preaching, and even in the United States, in the early payment of soldiers included salt. I did not know that until I researched that out. But when we look at this, God says, you and I are the salt of the earth. That unknown disciple, when he stood into the midst of all that was going on, he was the salt of the earth. Peter dropped the ball. He had lost his savor as soon as he denied Jesus Christ. But look at what it goes on to say. It not only calls us to be the salt of the earth, what does it say the next thing we should be? The light of the world, but it gives us a qualifier here. So we're not, we're not like, I, I don't know whether you remember back when, when I was a kid, when they were gonna have a big event, they would turn on those huge beams of light that would go up in the sky. And if you remember that, they used to do that in the old days. Now they're worried that it's, it'll punch a hole through the ozone layer, so they don't do that. But they used to go ahead and turn on those great big beams of light. He's not saying you and I need to be a giant beam of light. Look at what he goes on to say to us. He says, I want you to be the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So he draws a mental picture for us of being in a region where you look across and there's a city on a hill. And you can see the lights of that city at night. Now, if you were out in the deserts of Galilee, if you were out in the middle of the, in the Middle East, and it's a pretty barren place, and if you looked across and you saw a village light, what would that place be to you? A what? A harbor. Somebody else. Somebody else. A beacon for the direction you want to go. A direction. That's great. So a harbor, a direction. Security. A place of security. Somebody else. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm asking for input. I told you I'm going to try to get you involved. Light, a place where life is. That's right. You look and you say, there's light there. A warning. A warning that there's, maybe it, maybe you're, you're looking and you're saying, huh, there's others there. Maybe it's a warning. Interesting. Anybody else? You look, you're in the darkness, you're in a, a desolate place, you look across, and on that hilltop, you see the light of that place where people live. What'd you say, John? A refuge. An invitation. An invitation. Could be an invitation. Anybody else? Kathy. A welcome home. So for everybody, all of us, when we're looking out there, we're looking and we're seeing that light. And each of us in our own way is seeing hope, except Will, he's saying there's danger. That makes me have to wonder what Will's up to. I'm not sure, but I'm just teasing Will. He's thinking about three on a match. Is that what it is? In the Navy, when the ships were at sea, and of course it's incredibly dark, they said that if you lit three cigarettes with one match, you could attract a plane flying over because there was enough light for them to see you. Okay. All right. So praise the Lord. He's not asking us to be a cigarette lit on the sea. <laughs> Amen. So as we look at each one of these things, we see that the Bible is telling us you and I should be that place of hope, that place of refuge that place of security, 
We should be that place where people look and say, there's life there. There's security there. That I can go there. That I can go there and be okay. Because that's the image he's drawing for us. He's saying we should be like that unnamed servant in the midst of this enemy circle who's wanting to crucify Jesus. And there's that unnamed disciple. And you know what? He is that friend, that fellowship that Jesus needed at that moment. But let's go down and let's look. Let's, what's the next one? Salt of the earth, little village or city on the hillside. And what's the third one? Glory. Up as we come down here, look at verse 15. The light of a candlestick. So we have salt of the earth, a city on the hillside, and a small candle light. Now Elizabeth just gave us a naval story about a small light being able to attract an enemy. But also, they talk about how that in utter darkness, one candle can be seen for miles away. Now I've never tested that. I think. In our day and age, we have so much light pollution, it would be hard for us to be able to recognize that one candle can, that light can catch your eye for miles away, they say. But we have certainly had enough candlelight services here in the middle of darkness. And we start with one candle. And it's not a lot of light, but it's, it's surprising. And another, and another, and another, and another, and another. And before you know it, it's pretty bright in here, isn't it? And the Lord says, you and I are that candle. We are that candle. Now, when we are together, we are brighter. We enhance one another. We boost each other's capacity. <laughs> By ourselves, we are a light. But together, we are a bright light. He tells us, he says, even this, even this unknown disciple, he had a testimony. And his testimony, he really was that salt of the earth right there in the midst of all that was going on. Now, he wished he could have brought Peter in on that. And Peter could maybe help him to make that even a better presence. Peter kind of dropped the ball. But this unnamed disciple, he really was that place of refuge, that place of comfort, that place of friendship. Jesus could look over and see that unnamed disciple and know one of mine are here. Now, Peter could have been a part of that, but he turned out not to be. And certainly as we think about being the candle, that one candle in the room, I don't blame John for going to the gal at the door and saying, hey, listen, can you let my friend in? Because isn't it nice to have a friend with you in tough times, tough situations, frightening times, stressful times? Now, I'm sure John or the unnamed disciple never anticipated Peter to start denying the Lord three times. I'm sure he was hoping that he would enhance his life. Two of us together can be a greater presence than one of us alone. But unfortunately, what did Peter do? He put a bushel over his light, didn't he? Because the text goes on to say, nobody would want it. I mean, if you're trying to light the room, you're sure not going to put a bushel over it. But Peter put a bushel over his light, didn't he? It wasn't until the Lord caught his eye and he realized what he did that he left that place weeping. You and I don't ever think that you don't matter. You do matter. Even if nobody knows your name, you matter. You can choose to be a blessing to our Lord no matter where you are, no matter what is going on. You can choose to help others who are around you Find that place of peace and security and comfort and friendship that can only be found in the Lord. And you and I, whether our name is not known or not, every one of us has a testimony where we are when we're there. 
whether it be on a sports field and you're just part of the team, whether it be on the job where you're just part of the line, you are a unique person with a unique testimony at that unique moment. It's up to us to choose to be the salt of the earth, to be that place of security, refuge, that village, that city on a hillside, for you and I to be that little bit of light, the candle, don't put a bushel over it. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll go tonight. Father, as we get ready to depart from this place, I pray that you would help each of us to be even as that unknown disciple, ever so faithful, desiring to bless you, desiring to fellowship with you, to draw near to you, to let you know that we are there for you. Lord, help us. Help us to be an encouragement to other believers, to not be so focused on ourselves that we forget the needs of others. And Lord, help us to be a bright light. As small as we may be, help us to join in with others that our light might become brighter. Help us to never put the bushel over our light. We thank you that you love us. Help us, Lord, to always remember that we represent you everywhere, all the time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out tonight for our Sunday night service.